It's Advent week one, and we begin our series, The Canticles of Christmas. You would have noticed the auditorium's a little bit different. We don't have Christmas trees in the auditorium this year. Instead, we're going with the digital uh, artwork, and it's going to change every week. So with it being the week of love, we have love on the wall. So you'll have to come every week to see the different artwork each week. Um, Summer has been challenged to keep things uh, interesting, so she's done an amazing job. So you'll notice things a bit different. We can't go too far this way, otherwise you won't see anything. Um, But anyway, it's all good. Many of you might be wondering what a canticle is. A canticle is a song. So I went to the font of all knowledge, Wikipedia, and it has it defined as this. A canticle, from the Latin canticulum, a diminutive of canticum, song, is a hymn, psalm, or other Christian song of praise with lyrics usually taken from biblical or holy texts. Canticles are used in Christian liturgy. So this Advent, we are going to be looking at Christmas canticles we find in Scripture. These Christmas canticles remind us of the Christmas gift all year long, and they are found in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And they often find a place in the church's regular worship. These specific Christmas canticles were all sung around the time of our Lord's nativity. But through the years, we've placed them throughout the church's worship, and they serve as a regular reminder of the gift of Christmas, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Each canticle points to him in a unique way. But before we get to the first of the four songs this morning, Let me take a moment to share some general introductory thoughts with each of you. Although I'm going to refer to these passages as songs, they are a bit different than what we would think of when we think of a song. As you'll see, these four songs definitely use poetic language, and they have a meter or a rhythm to them, especially in their original language, which was probably Aramaic or Hebrew. But as you'll also see, each of these songs was spoken, not sung, to a melody or a musical tune, like contemporary music in our culture. And in each of these cases, there was almost certainly no type of musical accompaniment. So let's dive in. Have you ever noticed how everyone loves the songs of Christmas? Year after year, the same timeless songs come back. Songs like Silent Night, O Come All Ye Faithful, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and Away in a Manger, offer us a constant reminder of Christ's birth. You hear these songs and other Christian Christmas carols on radio stations, in elevators, played over the sound system at the mall, and on call center hold music. Boney M for the win. The music of this season is everywhere. Even unbelievers enjoy these timeless classics about the birth of Christ. It seems that even those who do not believe in Jesus find a sense of hope and peace during these few weeks of the year in something as simple as music. These very special songs of the season help to shed some of God's light into a very dark and hopeless world. And the Bible often and clearly communicates the importance of song as a vital part of worship, 
and praise to God. We see, we see songs as a part of the Jewish culture and as a valuable part of their history. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, Moses broke into song. And during some of the most difficult times in his life, what did David do? He wrote music to praise God. So there's a beautiful Christmas song called Mary Did You Know. Mary Did You Know became a Christmas classic when Michael English first recorded it in 1991. The words of the song were written by Christian comedian Mark Lowry with the music written by musician Buddy Green. Lowry said the song evolved as he contemplated sitting with the Virgin Mary over a cup of coffee and he thought about the questions he'd ask her. So I'm going to read the lyrics to you now. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God? Oh Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Compelling lyrics, and they do make a wonderful song. But long before Lowry and Green put that song together, Mary sang her own song about her little boy. And the words she sang reveal the truth that yes, in fact, Mary did know. Mary lived in an expectant era for the nation of Israel. The scriptures had promised that he was coming at any time. Sound familiar? The Messiah was going to turn the world around and deliver Israel from all her enemies. He would usher in the kingdom of God. But if those people who were so high with expectation had gone to a stable in the town of Bethlehem, they might have said, that's it. That's the Messiah. No one could have guessed that how this child would change the world. No one could have imagined the impact he would have on world history and the change he would make on people's lives. No one, perhaps, except Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Yes, Mary, you did know. Mary, you knew that your baby boy would save your sons and daughters. Mary, you knew that this child you delivered would one day deliver you and all the others who would believe in him. She knew this baby had walked where angels trod and that when she kissed her little baby, she kissed the face of God. Her song, which she recorded in Luke chapter 1, reveals that she did know. Her song is called the Magnificat because that's the first word in the Latin translation of her song. And it's a song that speaks of the glory and the deliverance and the salvation of God. She knew because her song put the focus squarely on God. 
Mary shows a maturity that is wise beyond her years. So let's take a look at her song from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So let's remember here for a minute that Mary is probably around the age of 13 years old. She's certainly not more than 16. Betrothals at that time were often made when a young lady was 13 and the marriage was generally a year later. It would have been unlikely that she would have been much older. It would have not been culturally correct. I'm not sure about you, and I'm not sure about how it was in the first century, but I know how it is today. And I don't want to upset anybody, but the 13-year-olds that I've known are really focused on anyone other than themselves. At that age, they're more worried about what they're going to wear, what it's going to look like, and who's going to see them in it. Isn't that what happens? Not Mary. She turns her face and her focus to God. She gives God the glory, and she sings a song of love, a song of faith, and a song of hope. As soon as Mary hears the words of Elizabeth, just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 1, the questions this teenager had had in her heart quieted, the anxiety abated, the confusion collapsed, and the doubts disappeared. And Mary knew in her spirit that what had happened to her was real. Praise erupted from deep within like an overflowing fountain. The moment that she and her people had waited for for so long had finally arrived. God had heard the cries and the longings of his children, and the work of salvation had begun. Mary's song is made up of images and references to scriptures from Genesis, from Job, from the Psalms, and from Isaiah, and from highlights from all through scripture. And it shows how steeped her thinking was in the word of God. But we know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were also steeped in the study of Scripture. But Jesus would later point out that though they studied the Scriptures, that they spoke about the academic part of the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures in depth. That even though they spoke about him, they refused to come to him. Instead, they, re they rejected the very one they claimed to love and follow. Mary's song reminds us that it is altogether possible to study the Bible purely as an academic exercise, as one might study in any other academic book, 
and completely miss the message. But Mary studied the scriptures as a lover would passionately memorize and consume the letters from her beloved. They not only stimulated her thinking, but they transformed her mind and her soul. And from the very depths of her being, she gives expression to her amazement, her adoration, her worship and love of God. That he has singled out a nobody from Nazareth to accomplish his mighty purposes. How in keeping with the character of our God. God chose Israel not because they were a mighty and powerful nation, but because they were the least of all the people on earth. He chose Moses, a child of slaves, to deliver his people. He chose Gideon, who was the least member of the smallest clan of the smallest tribe in Israel. He chose Samuel when he was a little boy, and David, the youngest and least likely in his family. So that no human being may ever boast in him or herself, thinking that their strength, their wisdom, their beauty, their attractiveness, their ingenuity was what brought things about. The glory and honor belongs always and only to God. So Mary sang a song of love that proves that she knew. She also sang a song of hope to prove that she knew. She sang of the great things that he has done for me. The great things that God was doing would overcome the world and turn the world right side up. She sang about God scattering the proud. She said that he brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He filled the hungry but sent away the rich with empty hands. In her son, God was turning the tables on the world. Those who were proud and arrogant, having power in this world to oppress, to oppress others, would be scattered by God. Those who ruled with injustice would be pulled down from their thrones and the humble servants would be put in their place. Those who used their wealth to oppress the poor would live in spiritual hunger, while those who were poor of this world would be filled with all the good things of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. He was the Savior who would right the wrongs of the world and would give those who were downtrodden great reason to rejoice. What this means is that Jesus came for everyone, regardless of their status in the world. The humble are valued by God, and even the arrogant can humble themselves and become right with God. The oppressed find mercy and help. The oppressors can stop the oppression and find grace. Those who are weak can be strong in God, and the strong can admit their weakness apart from God and find true strength. But we have to come to God on his terms rather than ours. We humble ourselves, we admit our weakness, we turn from our sin, and we turn to God for his strength, his wealth, and his wholeness. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, talks about the military fighter pilot who was performing high-speed maneuvers. The pilot thrust the controls for a steep upward climb, only to crash into the ground. Somehow the pilot was unaware he was flying upside down. It's a modern-day parable, isn't it? Going at breakneck speed, we don't even realize that we are living upside down. 
We're crashing and we can't seem to figure out why. After all, we aren't sure if there's even such a thing as right side up. Don't all roads lead to the same place? As long as you believe in God and practice some form of religion, don't we all get to heaven eventually? Can't I love God and live any way I want? Their answer is no. We can't live outside of God's will and expect God's blessing. We'll be flying upside down and eventually crash. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus turns us right side up and enables us to overcome the world if we are willing to let him have control of our lives. There is hope. And Mary sang of this hope because, yes, she did know. Mary's song is also a song of faith. Faith grows out of worship and Mary's entire song is worship. Worship is the environment that is perfect for strengthening and deepening faith. Because faith keeps its vision focused on the word and promises of God and not on the surrounding circumstances. In Hebrews 11 verse 1 we read, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing that because God has declared something, it is already an accomplished fact, even if the tangible and visible evidence is not immediately apparent to our senses. Mary sang of God's salvation, even though nothing around her changed. Mary was still a pregnant young girl from Nazareth. The Romans and the Jewish king Herod still ruled with an iron fist. The rich still had their goods and the poor continued to struggle. But Mary sang because she saw a vision of the changed world God was bringing into being through her son. A world where all wrongs will be righted, where every injustice will be corrected, where the oppressed and downtrodden will be lifted up, and those who have elevated and exalted themselves will be humbled. Yes, Mary did know. And because she knew, she could say, I am the Lord's servant. Here's what we need to know. The same Jesus seeks to continue becoming flesh, to continue being expressed through willing men and women, and to dwell among us. You and I were each specifically made to be a dwelling place for God. You and I are the sacred vessels through which he will make himself known in our homes, our families, our schools, and our communities. This building is not the place. The temple in Jerusalem is not the place. You and I are the place. This Advent season, Jesus comes to us, the least likely individuals in the least likely of places, and he says to you and I, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. He promises the outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon us so that Christ might be formed within us. God forces himself on no one. He takes the initiative and he makes the invitation. Because Mary did know, you and I are here this morning, and we have a living hope, a steadfast faith, and the experience of God's eternal and life-transforming love.
This hurting and broken world doesn't need to know if Mary knew. It needs to know if we do. This hurting and broken world doesn't need to know if Mary knew. It needs to know if we do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And then they're going to sing Mary Did You Know for us. And I'd like you to spend some time reflecting. If, like Mary, you know. You know. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Mary. Thank you for the example she is to each one of us. That, Lord, she worshipped and adored from a place of sheer love. Love for the child that was growing within her. Love for what that child was going to do in this world. And Lord, like Mary, we're expectant. We're expectant for Christ to live in each one of us and to work through each one of us to bring change into this world. So Lord, do we really know that Jesus is alive in each one of us? Do we really know what a difference he can make in this world? Do we really know the hope, the love, the faith that Mary sang of? Is it evident in our lives?